Welcome to The Landscape, your podcast about America's public lands. I'm Kate Gretzinger with the Center for Western Priorities in Salt Lake City. And I'm Aaron Weiss in Denver. On the show this week, it's part two of our dive into critical minerals, what they are, why they matter, and how mining them could change the West. But first, a little news. President Biden took on big oil companies in his State of the Union address this week, blasting CEOs for using their record profits to buy back stock rather than lower energy prices for consumers. He also went off script for a moment to say we're going to need oil for at least another decade, which energy analysts tend to agree with. But the president didn't say how much oil, so that really doesn't tell us much. Biden also called on Congress to quadruple a new tax on oil and gas stock buybacks, which is in line with a proposal from California Governor Gavin Newsom to add a windfall profits tax on oil refineries that are making big bucks while gas prices remain high. There was one glaring omission from the State of the Union speech, not one mention of the existential crisis facing the West right now, the 20-year mega drought and plummeting water levels on the Colorado River. The president talked a lot about climate change and investments in infrastructure for electrification and climate resilience. He rightfully took a victory lap for all of that. But Western states just blew past a deadline at the end of January to come up with an agreement on how to cut water use and keep Lake Powell and Lake Mead from dropping to Deadpool, the level at which Glen Canyon Dam and Hoover Dam won't be able to send any more water downstream. This is an issue that's going to affect every single resident of the seven Colorado River Basin states. It's about a tenth of the country's population. It has implication for the entire country's food supply. And to oversimplify a very complicated situation, right now it is California versus the other six states, especially Arizona. California has senior legal rights to the water, but also uses the most water by far. And no state wants to be the first to tell their farmers they have to let millions of acres of cropland lie fallow. So the next step here is up to the Biden administration. Since there's no agreement and doing nothing is not an option, Bureau of Reclamation Commissioner Camille Touton may come up with her own plan and could eventually just order water cuts outright. So the state of the union may be strong, but the state of the Colorado River is weak and getting weaker by the day. I don't think it's too much to expect the president to acknowledge that to the rest of the country. We're so excited to have two experts on mining reform here today with us. We've got Roger Flynn, who is the director and managing attorney at Western Mining Action Project, a nonprofit project working on hard rock mining reform. He also teaches mining law at the University of Colorado Law School. Roger, thanks for being here. Oh, you're very welcome. Glad to be here. And we've got Aaron Minces, Senior Policy Counsel at Earthworks. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kate. Pleasure being here. Let's just get straight into it. Tell us a little bit about why folks who are concerned about the West and public lands should be paying attention to critical minerals and mining reform right now. Yeah, thank you, Kate. Um, this is Aaron. I hope I, I might just uh, start us off if that's okay. I think um, part of why I feel like um, folks who are care about Western public land should be really concerned about the critical minerals now is that the 21st century mining rush is on. And if we uh, want to be able to avoid the mistakes of the 20th century minerals rush for uranium and the 19th century minerals rush for precious metals um, that scarred Western landscapes, displaced indigenous peoples, um, then we need to seek real reforms. And I hope we can talk some about those today. But what we have seen just over the past 
couple of years is um, a strong push from Congress. The Energy Policy Act of 2020, at the end of uh, 2020, followed by the Infrastructure Law in uh, 2021, followed by the Inflation Reduction Act in 2022. And so for folks who really care about public lands, they should feel some concern uh, about what uh, Congress is now going to be giving away, um, especially to uh, mining companies. And I know we could spend an entire podcast just on this question, but walk us through what those mistakes were in the the 20th century and 19th century and why that potential is even still there in an era of the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act and all of these environmental laws that we think of as having solved the problems. Uh, I'll take that. This is uh, uh, Roger. And um, yeah, the it goes back to uh, the law that uh, is still on the books, signed by President Grant in 1872, uh, the General Mining Law of 1872, which was, it's the last law on the books that uh, my old uh, mentor, Charles Wilkinson, has called uh, the Lord, last of the lords of yesterday. Uh, and those were the manifest destiny, the uh, laissez-faire, come and get it take anything you want with uh, no regard to Indian rights, no regard to environmental wildlife rights from the 18th century, or excuse me, the 1800s post-Civil War era. And there have been since the late 1960s and then in the 1970s, all the modern laws like the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act. Um, but the, uh, the federal agencies, certainly the mining industry and the federal agencies basically take the view that the uh, alleged rights under the 1872 mining law are sacrosanct and trump uh, these uh, other resources. Now, uh, the problem is, for example, the Clean Water Act uh, is focused on pollution of water, but you really don't see the pollution until the mine happens. And so they will often say in their consultants, well, we're not going to pollute. But many studies have shown that they end up polluting. And so it's, it's a struggle. Uh, to get uh, the agencies and the courts, which is what I specialize in, to uh, take a hard look at these uh, mines. And uh, basically, the federal agencies, just primarily the Bureau of Land Management for Interior Department lands and the U.S. Forest Service under the Department of Agriculture, with, with uh, a, a minor one or two exceptions uh, that were overruled later, uh, have never said no to a large mine. And that's the issue. They still believe that uh, the minerals are where you find them. I've heard that from the industry for <laughs> forever. Uh, and we, we need to mine them. It's not like uh, we can move the minerals. So they're there. We have to mine them. And everything else comes in second or third place. And, and that view still runs through the West. Uh, it, sometimes the agencies are a little more um, enlightened about protecting other values. Uh, but now, as Aaron pointed out, with this new rush for critical and other minerals, they're saying, well, once again, these other values have to come in second place. It's too important for our economy, et cetera, to mine these minerals. And uh, so that same sort of mindset as minerals first still governs uh, the West. Um, so. Going off of that, Aaron, can you tell us about what we're seeing in terms of new mining or intention to mine in the Western uh, U.S.? Oh, thank you, Kate. Yes. Well, there is mining all over the U.S. and there's mining all over the West and there's mining for all kinds of minerals. 
all over the West. Um, so let's just take precious metals off the table right now. And we'll speak just for a second about the what the law, this would be the Energy Policy Act of 2020, describes as so-called critical minerals, any of the five zero fifty metals elements on the periodic table. They, so the infrastructure law found, uh, funded uh, the United States Geological Survey's Earth MRI program. So we're going to see very, very quickly how many minerals there are below the ground, and as I think we'll discuss, how many minerals there are above the ground, too. But so right now we're seeing mining projects uh, come out in, uh, so there's tellurium and nickel in Oregon, uh, lithium in Arizona and Nevada, antimony and cobalt in Idaho, um, what, are, what are also so-called rare earths which by the way is a misnomer, right? They're neither rare. Or they're not, not all that rare. Right. <laughs> uh, rare earth mining in California and um, many of those same minerals in um, Alaska projects as well. So that's just name a, to name a few just from uh, those projects out there. If I could add, this is, uh, Roger, uh, this critical, the, the, Aaron is right, in some of the congressional laws on the book so far, that are pushing these and more bills to come as Aaron specializes there in DC. Um, the industry will say that everything's critical, everything we need for the green energy transition. And so uh, one that's not technically on the list, but is uh, immensely impactful in the West to uh, the environment and to indigenous values is copper. Now, copper has been around, you know, for electrical wiring since, you know, Thomas Edison, essentially. And some of the biggest and most impactful mines in the West, particularly open pit mines and uh, one underground mine, which will create a, a crater a mile wide in Arizona, uh, is copper. So even though it's not so-called critical, the industry will say we need these for our energy independence and national security. So it gets lumped into the push that mining, as like I was saying earlier, mining has to come first. So copper uh, and uranium uh, is, is another one. There's moves in Congress, as Aaron knows the best, uh, to you know not have us uh, susceptible to foreign uranium. We're hearing the same thing on, on copper and this. And, and if I could add one thing, it's very interesting when we hear this sort of America first, we need to mine our minerals here. Uh, when you ask the industry, to say, well, you're not going to sell that on the open market to China or other countries. And they go, oh, no, this is the free market. You can't tell us where to sell our product. And so uh, when they talk about national security, for example, uh, a lot of the copper, for example, is going to be smelted or refined and processed. Some of them I don't even know, but it would be likely overseas. And there's uh, nothing that requires... Uh, that the minerals mined in America stay in America. So the sort of uh, America first, energy first, uh, usually when you lift up the covers, it's just a way to, for them to mine more uh, with less environmental and indigenous rights protections. At the end of the day, it's all a, a global commodities market. So, so Aaron, that brings us to the Inflation Reduction Act passed last year. And it, it seems like that may have just added fuel to the fire. The Inflation Reduction Act, I think, was designed to incentivize uh, domestic mining, particularly in the West. Um, 
and it does through particular through two special provisions. One of them is just a straight up production tax credit, 10% production tax credit for any of the 5050 minerals that are on the list. Dovetailing to what Roger was saying earlier about copper. Let's say you have a copper mine. As we know, all mines are really critical minerals mines, irrespective of what the purported what the purported target mineral is. But for every one of these copper mines, the tax credit would still apply to any of the byproducts. So you have a copper mine, but it brings up some cobalt as well. Tax credit. Correct. That's exactly how it would function. Uh, so you get the ten percent production tax credit straight off the top for all for your mining, for at least the value of the. Uh, critical minerals in that in that mining, right? But then what we have is the Inflation Reduction Act's mineral sourcing provisions for the electric vehicle battery tax credit. So um, we all want, of course, to rapidly transition to all kinds of renewable energy technologies. And we want to do so in a very workable way. We can discuss how that can happen. Of course, unfortunately, what we have is mineral sourcing provisions that are deliberately designed to be unworkable. That will require that 40% of the minerals, the critical minerals that comprise um, electric vehicle batteries for the light vehicles um, come from the United States or from free trade agreement countries. They could also be recycled in North America too, but most likely it's designed to um, uh, create extraction and processing within the United States for some of these materials. Um, so those thresholds, 40% beginning January 1st of 2024, next year, go up every single year. It's a really fast timeline. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a right way to do this and there's a wrong way to do this if you want to be able to responsibly source materials. Um, we're going to be urging the Treasury Department in particular. They're coming out with a March guidance or rulemaking about how they want to interpret the mineral sourcing provision of the 3DD electric vehicle battery tax credit. And we're just hopeful that among the free trade agreement countries that will at least be eligible to source materials, at least some might be from the European Union, because they just passed a new battery regulation that when we begin to talk about circular economy and how we can actually responsibly source materials and reduce the demand for new mines, the European Union's battery regulation has a really good model for that. And for us in the United States to be able to build that those constituent materials, that market for those materials we need, um, it would be best to uh, be able to source from some of those free trade agreement countries and who are doing it more responsibly. So um, we're hopeful to be able to get Treasury to see uh, the, the wisdom there. I'm not so sure Congress does. Um, <laughs> Clearly, Congress is taking aim at the IRS already on some of this stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yesterday, Mr. Manchin um, introduced a bill to uh, to do just that. Well, um, let's talk about permitting then, since we're talking about uh, increasing mining here, potentially. How do we do it right? Um, how, what updates need to be made to mining permitting in order to protect the environment and ensure that these new mines don't harm our public lands and um, rivers and waters? Um, Roger, take this one. Uh, thanks. You know, I've always viewed it over the years as uh, the way to mine responsibly, just like to do any other sort of extractive use or use of the Western public lands responsibly, is to create a level playing field. 
And so in some areas, mining should occur. Some areas, particularly in areas that have already been pretty uh, shot up uh, and uh, the communities there are dependent on mining, they're used to mining and uh, expansions of existing mines, for example, uh, would be a prime example of, of a place, a good place to mine. But there's some places that should not mine. Uh, indigenous sacred lands, uh, key watersheds, key wildlife habitat, uh, and areas like that. The problem is, based on the 1872 mining law, none of that comes into play. The, the heart of the law is in the West, and this is most of the West, unless it's a national park or a wilderness area or a monument or something like that, is that it's the lands are free and open. Free and open. Free means they don't pay any royalties. <laughs> uh, that is another issue. For example, uh, the oil and gas industry now is at 18% gross royalty. Coal's 8, maybe 12, depending, percent gross. That's skimmed off the top. Hard rock mining pays zero. It's still free. Now, there's some state severance taxes, but they're a small drop in the bucket. It's uh, free and, and open is the key. And so uh, in the, the litigation that we've done on behalf of uh, conservation groups and Indian tribes and indigenous groups across the West, that's the main goal is to say, well, wait a minute. Yes, we need minerals, but we need clean water. Yes, uh, we need minerals, but we need our, our cultural heritage uh, to be protected. And so uh, in the ideal world, and, as, and maybe Aaron would talk about more, uh, is that we have uh, the conservation and tribal communities across the West and the country have proposed substantial reforms to the agency, particularly Interior Department and, and Forest Service regulations to uh, protect those special places. And, uh, and mining can occur elsewhere, but we need to balance it. And clean water and indigenous rights shouldn't come second. And because it doesn't in oil and gas, uh, it doesn't in grazing, it doesn't in logging. Uh, the, the way the law works is all of those, every single one of the other resources used in the West, uh, recreation, uh, filming a car commercial out in the Utah Canyon country, that's all discretionary based on a public interest test. Is it good for the public? Now, you balance it. Yes, we need minerals. We have national security and energy needs. We also need clean water and protecting our culture. And, and so uh, that's a balancing test. But mining, they're, they're, they don't balance. They just say, well, mining comes first. And OK, if you're going to uh, violate the Endangered Species Act, maybe we'll take a look at that. But other than that, uh, they, the balance is not there. So in, in my perfect world on public uses and industry uses of the Western lands, is to have a balance and, and the, what, what's, what's good for the public as a whole, including the local communities and the people that have lived there for thousands of years, that should be equal to the need for minerals. And, and that balance does not exist, but that's what the conservation and tribal communities are asking uh, the federal government to, uh, to, cr to create that balance. Roger mentioned the possibility of focusing mining efforts on areas that already have mining activity, communities that have built up around that. Aaron, is this something that we've heard about uh, remining existing tailing piles? And is that one of the ways forward that you think we could end up as a country of doing this in the right way? I'm going to, that's a really good question, Aaron. I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to pause on the question of whether it's the right way I'm going to acknowledge that it is a way and that I'm going to acknowledge that it's happening. 
How about that? Okay. Um, and so let me be let me let me just take a step back for a second. We were talking earlier about the United States Geological Survey's Earth MRI that the infrastructure law created. One of the main things that they are doing, as well as the Department of Energy through various programs, a number of the national labs the Department of Energy administers, are looking at precisely at that question. They're looking at how much of the minerals are actually there. Turns out there's a bunch. There's a bunch. I had heard that there are concentrations in abandoned coal areas in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania of cobalt that are comparable to some mines in the Congo, cobalt mines in the Congo. Yeah. So you can go to what the Department of Energy is looking at in terms of their national labs. There's some fascinating research that they really that actually I do support, by the way. There's some really good research into how you can extract some of the um, what we call the energy transition materials, cobalt and lithium, for example, from um, otherwise waste materials, especially acid mine drainage from coal projects. That's happening now. I do support a lot of important R&D in that area to make sure that the processing of those and the removal of those uh, happens in a way that's less toxic. Um, And I'll acknowledge, yeah, I've heard anecdotally from some communities, we represent, you know, mining impacted communities, that there is some benefit from helping clean up and reclaim those areas and seeing if there's some source of material there that could be reused. I've also heard from communities who said EPA is our place is already a super fun site and EPA hasn't done their job yet. So, so we're going to make it worse. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Well, um, since we're talking about federal uh, research and federal um, uh work on mining, I guess. Let's talk about the interagency working group that has been convened by the Biden administration. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about what's going on on the federal level to try to improve mining right now, Roger? Uh, Okay, I I think Aaron uh, uh, has his finger on the pulse in D.C. uh, more than I do. But just just in general, uh, the, the Biden administration has recognized the need to modernize our public land regulations. I think uh, you may be asking this in the future, what are the prospects for federal statutory reform, reform of the 1872 mining law in a positive direction? With the makeup of today's Congress, I, I don't think that's happening. Uh, but the agencies, as, as, as was often the case with many laws, the laws are sort of skeletal. And the real meat and potatoes of how the agencies work on the ground, how the public it's affected how the industry does its business is conducted by the regulations. And the Forest Service regulations were done basically in the 1970s. The heart of the BLM regulations were the 1970s. They were modernized uh, actually in a somewhat bad direction. Oh, they, they were modernized. Uh, well, some improvement at the end of the Clinton administration. But when the, uh, the Bush administration came in, those uh, most of the good provisions were wiped out and some were made worse. Uh, and so those are 30 years old now, and the Forest Services are 50 years old. And, and so uh, they're incredibly outdated, and that's why they've started to look at it. And uh, the conservation and tribal communities have really made a, a push, a line-by-line review to have uh, these modernized and improved. But um, Aaron's been working uh, it, since it's with the headquarters agencies in D.C., 
uh, that's where uh, everything is being considered right now. So maybe Aaron has a, some thoughts on that. Oh, um, yeah. I like As Roger indicated, um, the infrastructure law requires Congress to provide some recommendations on improving mine permitting. And um, the uh, a, a handful of tribes and indigenous-led organizations and um, conservation organizations uh, petitioned uh, Interior also to uh, improve mine permitting. And um, they, <laughs> the administration created the Mining Reform and Air Agency Working Group. And we're supposed to see recommendations, I think, come, I hope, this quarter, maybe as soon as March. Um, and um, hopefully, like I said, they'll um, um, they'll um, make some recommendations that sort of align with what some of the conservation groups and the indigenous tribes and organizations have thought. When we're talking about best practices or more responsible ways to do mining, are there any good examples to point to from outside of the country? Are, are there... Are there more responsible regulations or practices happening in places like Australia or Canada where we know there is a lot of mining of these minerals going on or even in, in, in Europe that could be a guide to a way forward? That's a really great question, Aaron. Um, I wanted to first say that laws are only as good as the agencies that enforce them. Being for, right. Anything is right. The laws are fine, but it's how it's implemented that is where the rubber meets the road. Absolutely. And for that reason, I am not going to vouch for how well some other country does or does not actually enforce their own law. But I did want to make one quick point about Canada, for example. In Canada, they had or technically still have a free entry system similar to the United States. If you want King Charles's minerals, you can still stake your claim. But in the 90s, they in the 19, 1990s, they reformed their law. And so it, you can still stake your claim for the king's minerals, but actually to mine, you need a lease from the provincial government. And at the, so it's at the provincial level, not the federal level. Interesting. Okay. Everywhere else in the world, you need a lease. You need a mining concession or you need a mining license. And now I'm about to defer to my dear friend, Roger Flynn, but I've learned in school that each of those is a revocable property interest. And so everywhere else in the world, you can revoke these things. But as Roger has experienced in many courtrooms, it's once you get vested mining rights, you don't just revoke them. That's a main difference. But ultimately, these other provinces, Quebec and Ontario and British Columbia have taken the power to to have a leasing system, which, and here's the critical piece, please. Free, prior, and informed consent is the law in those provinces. I'm not saying they always follow it. I'm saying it's the law. So um, there is a difference between at least the way it's written some places and the way it's done here. Licenses, leases, concessions, free prior and informed consent. We don't have that here. Roger? Right. You know, I uh, always joke with my uh, law students at the University of Colorado, the difference between the leasing system and Aaron's 100% right, and I think all the rest of the world, 
all countries. It's up to the government to decide that is a matter of discretion. Uh, and, but the 1872 mining law still has you and I can go out to our public lands this afternoon and put four stakes in the ground, file some paperwork, and we have a claim on that land. Uh, not in a national park, for example. So the difference is if you have an, uh, uh, an off-campus apartment, uh, you have to get a lease before you can move in. But if it's the mining company, they can just come onto your couch and say, hey, this couch looks good. I'm going to, I'm taking it. And there's nothing <laughs> you can do about it. Uh, and so, you know, it tries to, it tries to put a, a human face on it. Uh, but, you know, I don't, and I don't specialize in, in foreign mining practices. I know Canada, as um, Aaron was saying, on, on the, on the books is has some better provisions. I know they're, in fact, the case law the, the, from the Canadian courts uh, give much more credence to Aboriginal rights, Indigenous rights, uh, but the United States, uh, now we're not talking about an Indian reservation where the tribe is, it's, it's sovereign, it controls, it, can, it has the yay or nay, and, and some tribes have extensive oil and gas operations, for example. Um, but we're talking public lands outside of the boundaries of designated reservations. Uh, the, the tribes have very little rights. And the rights that they do, for example, a uh, very important front page case right now is uh, the what's known as the Stibnite Gold Project. But of course, it's the Stibnite Gold Project in Idaho. But now they say, well, it's for antimony which is a critical mineral uh, for metal production and things like that. And the, the Forest Service has basically said on the record, it's on Forest Service land, that yes, we know uh, the Nez Perce tribe in particular has uh, reserved rights from the Treaty of the 1850s that guarantees them rights to hunt and fish and gather and, and have those resources protected by the federal government. And the Forest Service basically says, well, this is mining. Uh, hard rock mining under 1872, and they are poised to uh, approve that mine, uh, even though they acknowledge uh, the severe infringement on the Nez Perce treaty rights. So uh, the United States in, in many ways is, uh, you know, the most backward on some of these, you know, policies and laws than other countries. Uh, I will want, I do want to say though, in some other countries, the human rights abuses, and, and, and Aaron and I you know, study these things, we're not experts in these things, but the human rights abuses, uh, for example, uh, in, in some of these countries, uh, the track record is really bad. And the United States with our labor protection laws, uh, laws against child labor, uh, is ahead of the game uh, than uh, most of the world. And that, that is something to be proud of here in America. Uh, but uh, as far as the rights to minerals, and the mining comes first mentality, uh, we are certainly not in the lead uh, in the world on that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good um, differentiation to make. It's uh, two two very different um, issues coming together in mining. Um, so you guys have been working on mining permitting reform for a long time, as I understand it. And it, it sounds like you're not super optimistic that you're going to see any reform in the next few years or under the current Congress, um, what would need to happen in the U.S. For, for some of these changes you've been pushing for to actually take place? Aaron, you can start. Oh, the, what, you know, the president has the power to make those changes tomorrow. Uh, and in fact, it would be really lovely. At, at the administrative level, not, not talking about repealing 1872 general mining law, but the enforcement. The, that's correct. That's exactly right, Aaron. Yeah. And we would, 
a lot of what we would like is what we petition for in mining rules. And Ms. Holland and the president could decide tomorrow that in light of the 21st century minerals rush, uh, we need to have better mining rules that sort of deconflict these areas uh, from this, uh, you know, uh, that deconflict these areas and provide the balance that Roger indicated we need. Um, it will actually improve permitting processes. Um, and so um, that's that could happen. We would like to see the administration go in, in, in that direction. Roger, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, the, uh, this, I, as I mentioned, the, the statutory reform in a positive direction is probably not going to happen in the current Congress. There is the potential, as Aaron mentioned, for regulatory reform. But in the what they can do now, uh, what have you done for me now? Uh, the Under the federal public land laws, the Secretary of Interior can what we call withdraw lands from the free and open provision of the mining law. And you know, the Obama administration withdrew over a million acres north and south of Grand Canyon National Park due to the threat of uranium mining to uh, indigenous rights and uh, water, groundwater particularly. And we helped defend that uh, through many lawsuits from the mining industry. Uh, here in Colorado, the probably the world's longest mining fight is outside of Crested Butte, Colorado, where there's been the threat of the mine on, on the town's beloved Red Lady. Uh, when President Biden came out to designate Camp Hale National Monument, his first national monument to honor uh, the veterans uh, of World War II, he also, uh, his Interior and Agriculture Department uh, temporarily withdrew 200 and some odd thousand acres. And now there's public comment to make that a 20-year uh, withdrawal. And that would include the lands outside of Crested Butte. And, you know, Crested Butte used to be an old mining town in the 1800s. It's not a mining town anymore. So the town and the local communities, the business, the Chamber of Commerce uh, types have been in favor of protecting the watershed for drinking water and for recreation for decades and decades. So there's a, a, a couple of bright uh, uh, signs that the agency can do that. There are uh, obviously national monuments uh, for Bears Ears uh, that uh, President Obama did and uh, President Trump eviscerated and President Biden has brought back. Uh, uh, the uranium threat there, there's lawsuits from the state of Utah and uranium miners against uh, what President Biden did. Uh, but the that power of the president and, and the secretary of interior to protect lands from the from the 1872 mining law, that sort of mining first view is is something that, uh, you know, the agencies uh, and the administration is looking at and and so far has, has taken some steps. But we certainly hope that they take a look at some protecting some other of these critical uh, special places around the West. Sure. Um, thank you for that very detailed answer. It's great to actually, you know, locate this on the ground in the West. Um, Aaron, back to you. You mentioned that the president and Secretary Holland could take action immediately if they wanted to. What do you think is stopping them from doing that? And do you actually expect them to do anything in the next two years or so um, executively? I do. I do see that. I think we saw a preview of what they're going to do um, at the uh, Tribal Nations Summit back in November. Um, and so, for example, Roger was talking about uh, the Federal Reserve Treaty rights uh, with the Nez Perce. So we expect the EPA has proposed a rule on uh, the Clean Water Act for treaty reserve rights. Um, we expect that there are going to be announcements about um, various chances to improve consultation uh, 
um, pra uh, practices and um, better notice opportunities for the public. Um, there are also other, as Roger was also talking about, mineral withdrawals too. And so I think there might be better, more transparent. This won't involve a change of law uh, or even really a change of regulation. It might just be a change of process, a change of practice um, where the Interior Department will allow the public to, you know, um, openly nominate and sort of transparently nominate areas for withdrawal. And so hopefully with uh, some areas in Alaska, maybe areas related to uh, sage grouse, um, areas in California too, there could be areas that would might be nominated to, for mineral withdrawal. I want to thank you both so much for all of these insights. It feels like after this conversation, I have a much better sense of the way forward in terms of how to fix the mining that we do and how to avoid mining in the places that we shouldn't. So what's the best way for folks to get involved and impact this process in some way? You, you talk about the, the hope that maybe we'll see a rulemaking administrative reform. Maybe Congress someday down the road gets to 1872 reform. I, how what's effective what moves the needle is it phone calls is it formal comments is it talking to your local and state leaders and being like no you need to get the president on the horn well you know and and uh working in, in yeah in, right in representing uh folks uh for all these years uh to me it's about caring for a place uh whether it's your your uh current and your ancestral religious practices uh, your, your clean water, your hunting grounds, where your favorite trout stream, uh, your view shed, your clean skies, caring about a place, giving a hoot about uh, a place and that may be threatened and to pay attention uh, to uh, proposals. Uh, thankfully, when I started years ago, you know, before the Internet, before electricity, um, you know, it was hard to find out what was going on um, without unless you read the small print in the newspaper but now everything's online you can join you can ask that the forest service and blm you be put on their list to be notified and then us and and find allies and folks helping out and bridge uh, partnerships one of our cases against the uh, country's biggest lithium mine proposal uh an, another one of the plaintiffs we represent the conservation groups is a local rancher whose water supplies are severely threatened and you know so having those uh cross-pollination of folks that care about a place and the resources that are at risk, that would be, uh, that's what keeps me going uh, working for these folks is because uh, I care about, you know, the places they care about. And so that's what I think the best way to do it. Um, and then Aaron, I mean, as far as uh, current steps in DC, uh, you're, you'd be the expert on that, but out West is to care about a place and uh, work hard to protect it. Yeah, Aaron, you get the last word. I think you're right. Once you care about a place and you want to work hard to protect it, then you should talk to your local representative and tell that your representative how worried you are about this Congress giving away public lands to anyone for mining or other purposes. That's going to be the theme. And so this worked before. So when people speak up and they tell their members that they actually cherish public lands and they don't want us divested of those, um, then those representatives want to stand up for their own places and their own districts and the places that they want to be able to protect. 
Um, and so that's where, and we all, the truth is we only need a few folks to agree with us. So um, yeah, so reach out. I think that's where we'll leave this conversation. Obviously, there's a whole lot more to say down the road, especially about some of these individual projects. Lithium in Nevada is a whole, I'm sure we will spend an episode or more on that uh, in the future. But we'll leave it there for now. Aaron Mintz's Senior Policy Counsel at Earthworks, Roger Flynn, Director and Managing Attorney at Western Mining Action Project, and an adjunct professor at the University of Colorado School of Law. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Our pleasure. Time for some good news. And it comes from the Wild Animal Sanctuary in Colorado. This is the nonprofit that takes in wild animals that can't be released back into the wild, including a whole bunch of Joe Exotic's big cats from the Tiger King documentary. Now the sanctuary is protecting wild horses as well. Don't worry, they're not going to live with the tigers and lions. The organization bought 22,000 acres of land near Craig, Colorado, and it's going to be a permanent home for up to five, and, the, and they're going to be a permanent home for up to 500 horses that have been rounded up by the Bureau of Land Management because Colorado's public lands can't sustain out-of-control herd populations. This isn't a long-term solution to a challenging problem, though. Every year, the government rounds up 15 to 20,000 horses and burrows on public lands, and the populations that are left are still well above what's considered manageable by the agencies. But for these 500 horses, at least, they've got a new and safe home on the range. And that's it for this episode of The Landscape. We're very excited about the episodes coming your way soon, including a conversation with Colorado River scientist Brad Udall. We're also going to have a deep dive into some of the crazy connections and history between Arizona and Saudi Arabia and how that history is still playing out today. And of course, we want to hear from you. Send us your episode ideas, podcast at westernpriorities.org. Thanks again to Roger Flynn and Aaron Minces for helping us understand critical minerals and mining reform. I think it's safe to say this is a topic we'll be revisiting very soon. On behalf of the whole team at the Center for Western Priorities, I'm Kate Gretzinger. I'm Aaron Weiss, and thank you for listening to The Landscape. <laughs>